little ukulele action for you there. And I think it's appropriate given the tropical flavor of this episode. <laughs> There's no tropical flavor to this episode. Hi everyone, welcome to You Scared of This, a podcast where two grown men watch every episode of Nickelodeon's classic horror anthology, Are You Scared of the Dark? Nope. And talk about whether or not it's still a scary. Nope. <laughs> My name is David Dykus. I'm one of the hosts of of this show. And party people in the place to be. This morning, I am one of you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that bit. I'm Eli Phillips, the other host of this show. And Eli, how you feeling this morning? Full disclosure, party people. I'm a little drunk. <laughs> That's right, guys. It's one of those episodes. <laughs> I apologize in advance for how I feel. <laughs> this should be an interesting one. We're in uncharted territory here. Uh, but, yes, this is You Scared of This. And we're going to review an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark today? That episode's going to be the tale of the carved stone. Magic sound. Magic sound. Yeah, we're watching the tale of the carved stone. Another one of those Rano joints. We'll get to the specifics of the episode in a minute. Uh, but, Eli, <laughs> I have to imagine you're still drunk from partying on Halloween. We were recording this on the morning of November the 3rd. <laughs> Last night, not Halloween, uh, I lost some bar trivia at the Highball Lounge in Austin, Texas. And uh, to, you know, nurse our wounds, we thought it would be appropriate to go to their Twilight Zone-themed karaoke room and sing our sorrows away late, late, late into the evening. Twilight Zone-themed karaoke room? Like... Does that mean every song ends with a twist or something? <laughs> At the end of every song, you realize the monster was you all along. No, it's it's a solid black room, and all the lights are black lights, and they've painted stars all over the wall, and the floor is a big white and black spiral, and there's a, a door, like a, a, a fake off-kilter a door floating through the space and stuff. It's just this like weird-ass karaoke room. So I sang a lot of karaoke. Not a lot. I sang... I sang some really bad white person karaoke last night, and and I'm still still feeling a little bit of the effects of it. Well, we're gonna power through this one. <laughs> I mean, the good news is, the good news is, I loved this episode according to the messages I sent you last night. So this will be fine. We'll get to those, but yeah, you really uh, <laughs> you really like the tale of the card stone. Before we get to it, I guess we should address nude business. Uh, yeah. First matter of nude business I want to talk about is to give a special shout out to Old School Lane. Uh, we were interviewed by Patricia from Old School Lane for her uh, YouTube channel, and you can find that interview on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And it's a pretty lengthy one. We talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, we explain the secret origins of you scared of this. We talk Again. about our favorite episodes of the show. We talk about animorphs for a while. Yeah. <laughs> we discuss yeah. the rise and fall of children's horror culture. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we were really appreciative of the chance to sit down and talk to her. Yeah, she it's it's part of a series that she does called Casual Chats, where it's just sort of like a a really relaxed hangout discussion of a particular topic. It was it, yeah, like you said, it was just a lot of fun. I loved loved getting to do that. So if you want to hear us talk at length about non-specific elements of children's '90s horror television and animorphs. And, and animorphs, other dumb stuff. Uh, it was a great, it was a great time. So you should check that out. 
And I encourage you to check out the rest of stuff on Old School Lane. If you're into 90s Nickelodeon nostalgia, she has tons of videos. She Man, she's examining everyone. She's interviewed every single creative mind from 90s Nickelodeon that you can think of. It's it's pretty amazing. So yeah, plenty there to keep you busy. Check it out, Old School Lane, on YouTube and on Blogspot. Yeah. Listen to our interview, watch the rest of the stuff. But anyway, any other nude business to attend to? Uh, no, I think that's our only nude business, uh, which means that we can dive right into the tale of the Carved Stone. Ooh, all right. Well, let me pull up some factoids for this episode. Uh, I've got them right here if you want me to do it. Oh, then by all means, you do it. Uh, the Tale of the Carved Stone is the seventh episode of season three of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's the 33rd episode overall, directed by Ron Oliver and written by, I believe, newcomer Susan Kim. Uh, it first aired February 19th, 1994, and as we're about to find out, this is a Gary story, which can, of course, only mean one thing. Boy, is it ever. This is the mo- this is the gariest story to ever Gary. Shall we just dive right into it? Yeah, throw that, throw that coffee creamer right on the fire. Whoosh! Ah, my eyebrows! <laughs> you know you're not supposed to lean over the fire? Extend your arm. Extend. Ah, ah my arm hairs! We'll be back next week, folks. Throw up the We're Having Technical Difficulties banner. <laughs> the episode begins with the Midnight Society approaching the campfire when they see a weird black-cloaked figure looming over the stone throne. Yeah, there's there's like a... Kind of a headless horseman-looking dude. And they're like, oh, I bet it's just Gary. And Gary shows up, he's like, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, but if you're there, then who's the... Whoa! Gary walks up and reveals that he's constructed a scarecrow, basically. And he's dressed it with a weird cloak and hat that he found at his dad's magic shop. And he explains that the outfit supposedly belonged to an ancient order of monks who could control the elements in time and space. Despite the fact that this is very clearly the Undertaker's uh, cloak and hat. Very clearly, yes, like a 1991-era Undertaker. That's who this belonged to specifically. Gary's dad must be or know the Undertaker. He skimped on the purple gloves, but the rest of it is there. But he says that this gave him an idea for a story. David style. Random, yeah, much random of... thing gave him an inspiration for a story that has nothing to do with it. I don't know, this is, this is pretty specific. But Gary throws the coffee creamer under the fire, preserving his eyebrows and arm hairs in the process, and begins the tale of the carved stone. Now, Eli, I'm going to explain the premise of this story to you, and you have to promise me you're going to have to you're going to trust me when I say what the plot is. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, okay. It's like something Jules Verne would write. <laughs> or Steven Spielberg. <laughs> this is a story about a kid who's moved to a new town and doesn't have any fucking friends. Womp womp. The oldest trope in Are You Afraid of the Dark? But no, this is a story about a kid who's moved to a new town and has no friends, and her name is... What is her name? Allison Denny. I'm sorry, I think you meant to say Allison Denny. Allison Buzz. <laughs> Allison has moved to a new town, and she's lonely. That's, that's our oldest joke ever now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Allison is so lonely. How lonely is she? She's so lonely that she talks to herself. Yeah, she talks to herself for about five minutes. When she sees a group of teenagers outside her window, she throws open the window and screams at them. <laughs> and they run away in fear because they assume she's a crazy old lady. Yes. Understandably, they they desert her, and so she's left all alone in her room, not to keep her company, but the old wooden dresser she has with some weird initials carved into it. Uh, when she sees these kids run by, 
she notices that one of them drops something and so she's like oh this is my she's an enterprising young lady she says this is my opportunity to meet these people and make some friends here's my here's my icebreaker so she runs outside to grab what they dropped and being the dummy that she is she accidentally steps on it yeah crushes it looks under her foot and realizes she stepped on a pair of weird novelty glasses like a pair of glasses with big springy eyeballs coming out of them yeah it's a pair of plastic sunglasses with the lenses out and in place of the lenses are two slinkies and at the ends of those slinkies are fake eyeballs which means not only are these the coolest kids in the world but they just got back from chuck e cheese yeah we're gonna i want to talk about that a little bit more later on (laughs) no fuck it we're gonna talk about it now what were they doing with these glasses being hilarious like it not even just these kids specifically in what situation is it ever appropriate to wear that style of glasses uh, when you are the biggest goofball. Let me rephrase that again. When is that pair of glasses more convenient or appropriate than, like, a classic pair of Groucho Marx glasses with nose and mustache? Um. When would when you, you wear s- these springy-eyed glasses? They're always dangling in front of your eyeballs and you can't see. Yeah, Plus, these I kids mean- are, like, 17. There's nowhere where they could conceivably be wearing these and not look like children. Uh, I'm sure they were a prop for some some goofy event. Like, I'm sure they were a one-off joke. That these 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 are the cool kids, Daigus. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt here that they were doing something cool. All right, here's my theory. They were on their way to an eyes wide shut style masquerade sex party. <laughs> uh huh. One uh-huh. of them realized, oh no, I've lost my mask. Sees the magic so the- shop, runs in, asks Sardo. Quick, I need a mask. Give me the cheapest thing you have that will obscure my eyeballs. And Sardo, like, does a pretty bad job of that. Sardo gives him this pair of $3.50 novelty glasses and says, Are you sure you want to do this? And the guy says, Yes, I'm in a hurry. (laughs) He runs out of Sardo's shop, and Sardo shrugs and puts on his mask and, like, immediately picks up the phone and says, Yeah, I'll be there in 30. And then, like... (laughs) Grabs a bottle of of lotion and and walks out the door himself. And then proceeds to ruin an eyes wide shut party. (laughs) No one wants to be the Sardo at an eyes wide shut sex party. Anyway, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, she realizes that she's crushed this pair of uh, novelty glasses. Oh no, she's ruined her one shot at friendship. But all hope is not lost because she looks around and sees that she's right across the street from the old magic mansion. That's handy. That is super convenient. So she goes inside. Uh, I'm going to make a random observation of something in the foreground here, which is the first thing we see when she enters is just a skull inside a birdcage. Yep. Why they need to keep it contained in the cage, I don't know. But she goes in and finds Sardo. Well, we should talk about the introduction of Sardo in this episode, because it is my favorite Sardo introduction ever. (laughs) I think it was what immediately turned me on to this episode and just turned things around for me. All right, 120. You know what I went through to get this. The guy could have killed me. Yes, well, that's none of my bees. 200. Or I'm taking everything over to Uncle Bobo's house of magic. Uncle Bobo? That clown? All right, but I'm losing on the deal. We hear Sardo negotiating something in the back of the building. It's not clear what exactly is happening, but he's arranging the acquisition of something, and he's losing on the deal. Which I loved. I love that they brought back that phrase. Yeah, it's he uses it multiple times in this episode, and it's great. Yeah. Uh, but Sardo eventually emerges from the back room when he sees he has a customer, goes through his usual bit, accent on the dough, tries to sell 
Allison all kinds of magical talismans, but she says, no, I just need a pair of cheap glasses. And he's like, that'll be $3.50. He notices that she's new in town, tries to sell her a friendship potion, but ends up selling her something from this box of magical goods that he's acquired through unsalubrious means in the back. Yeah, we learned that the negotiation he was making was for the acquisition of a Legend of Zelda-style treasure chest full of stuff. And he's digging through it, trying to find something that he can sell this girl. Uh, He says he's going to give her a friendship potion, but out of the bottom of the box, what does he pull out? Not a potion, but a weird-ass little rock. He pulls out the titular Carved Stone which is about the size of a buckeye and has, like, Egyptian glyphs carved into it. And he tells her, if you just take this home and say the magic words, you'll have more friends that you know what to do with. Ooh. <laughs> and Allison, being stupid, immediately buys it. Like, literally purchases the thing and believes that it's going to work. Yeah, sorry, Allison. There's a reason you do not have friends. And so, confident that her friendship woes are over, she leaves the door and passes by a very obviously evil man <laughs> as she's exiting. Yeah, she bumps into the villain from Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it's it's an old man wearing the the same black cloak and wide brim hat that we saw at the Midnight Society portion of the show, and he just leers at her. And yeah, he looks just like Judge Doom. She takes this magical stone home and is trying to like recite incantations to make it work. We think for maybe a second that it's actually that she actually succeeds at this. There's a knock at the door, and the cool kids from before show up, and she's like, "Oh, you're here." Here, I got you a new pair of goofy novelty sunglasses. And they fucking make fun of her for this. They're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you like, called us all the way over here for this? Yeah, they're like, we didn't give a fuck about those glasses. Why would we have given a fuck about those glasses? Yeah, it's very rude. <laughs> but Allison is immediately dismissed by this group of cool kids. She's feeling lower than ever, and she hurls the magic stone at her full-length mirror in frustration. That's an emo thing to do. Yeah, it really is. Uh, But when she does this, when the rock strikes the mirror, she gets a glimpse into another world. She sees a little kid at a desk, and she's like, what's going on here? And so she taps the rock to the mirror, and she passes through the looking glass. And we get a commercial break, right? Have you called yet? Let America know who you think should be president. Call the toll-free number on the screen for the man you think should get the job. Should it be Bill Clinton? Bob Dole? It's your country. Take a stand and vote. Vote right now. Voice your choice on Nick. When we come back, Allison is in her room, but something has changed. Suddenly it's decorated like it's the 1800s, and there's a weird little boy sitting at a writing desk. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, and he basically says it like that, because what we should make note of is that this boy does not in any way talk like someone from a different era. Oh, they make efforts. He says, golly gee whiz, all the time. Golly. Golly jeepers, it must be wonderful. Jeepers. <laughs> Jiminy Jellickers. That's how you know he's old-timey. But he doesn't talk like uh, the announcer from the Hindenburg. Oh, the humanity. That wasn't in the 1800s. Which, as we all know, no, but like... He wouldn't talk more normal than that guy. He would talk even old-timier. He doesn't have a weird transatlantic accent. He doesn't talk like... He doesn't sound like the guy who sings that ukulele lady song. <laughs> yeah. If you like a ukulele lady, ukulele lady like a you. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. sound like he's coming through a phonograph. Yeah, none of this adds up. 
Uh, but this kid introduces himself as Thomas Jefferson something. I'm Thomas Jefferson Bradshaw. Thomas says, what are you doing in my room? And Alice says, your room? This is my room. And she looks around, and it's clearly her room, but it's in the past. And they realize, oh my god, she's gone back in time. What? She explains, oh, well, I was having a bad day, and I have no friends. And Thomas tells her, oh man, I don't have any friends. I live with my wicked old grandmother, and I have no parents and no friends, and I could never leave the house. He says to her uh, that his parents are dead, and he's an only child. And she goes, I'm an only child, too. And it's like... Maybe that wasn't the direction to take the conversation if someone tells you their parents are dead. Like, she didn't even say, oh, I'm sorry about your parents, dude. Yeah, they're only children for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, her parents are still alive and have cho- looked at her and said, I'm not going to have any more. His parents died <laughs> after promising him a baby brother. She's kind of an asshole in that moment. Like, I thought that was, it's, it, it has no bearing on the rest of the episode, except to show that she's kind of a jerk. But she offers to take Thomas away from his wicked grandmother back to the future through the through the magic mirror using the stone. No, wait, that's the, that's that's the Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. <laughs> <laughs> back to the future so he can watch Jurassic Park. <laughs> What's the... That's what I meant to do. <laughs> uh, she offers yeah. to take him Shit back. Shit the bed on that one, Eli. Way to go. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, she offers to take him to the 1990s with her, and she's explaining all the wonders that he's going to see in the future. And it's like, oh, TV, and we're going to go play video. She says, you're going to die when you play video games. And he says, I don't want to die. He says, she ghosts? Says, <laughs> yeah, with all the... All the fright and dread that uh, of the kid from Frozen Ghost. Uh, I'll just drop in the audio clip here. Here's what they say. Man, you're going to die when you see video games. Die? I don't want to die. I didn't mean die as in, like, checkout time. It's a figure of speech. Come on. Checkout time? I, I like that she explains, no, it's not an expression. It's like checkout time. Checkout time is an expression. It's also an expression. Yeah. Yeah. One that no one has ever used in any situation. It's an expression that she just made up for the 90s. Anyway, they go back through the mirror. They're now we need to pause the... here. Okay. Because we actually left out a pretty important aspect of this uh, of the chronology here. When Allison realizes that this stone is not going to give her more friends, before she throws it at the mirror, she goes back to Sardo's shop, and we left that out. When she goes oh, back yeah. to the shop... It looks like shit. It looks like Shandu's magic gypsy wagon when... What was the name of that wizard? Oh, Nazrak. Yeah, it looks like Shandu's gypsy wagon when Nazrak got loose and trashed the place. And so she calls out to Sardo. She's like, Sardo, you here? And his voice comes from the back of the, the back of the magic mansion, and he's telling her, go away, everything's fine, no refunds, fuck off, kid. But we see that Sardo has actually been cornered by the mysterious man in black from earlier, a member of this ancient order of monks called Septim Severance or something. That's just the guy's name. You can't get this guy's name at all. <laughs> His name is just Brother Septimus. His name is Brother Septimus. And he's after the stone that Sardo sold to the girl. Yeah, so when Allison goes back home, we see Brother Septimus, the, the, the man in black, interrogating Sardo, saying he needs the stone. Where is it? And he does sort of an Adam Driver Force Awakens mind read thing and forces Sardo to reveal that Allison has it. She's been given up to this evil wizard dude. 
We come back. Sardo is explaining what's going on, that someone is after him, and that he needs the stone back. And he didn't think he was actually magical before, but it turns out it's super magic. No sooner does he say this than Brother Septimus bursts through the door and begins wreaking havoc. He throws Sardo yeah. through the magic mirror, trapping him back in time. Gotta go back in cool. time. Brother Septimus corners the two kids, and he's like, Give me the stone! He is just hamming it up and chewing up the scenery. This is maybe the most over-the-top villain we've had in a long time. You know not the power with which you deal. You will suffer for having toyed with me. The styling here is really wonderful. You know, we mentioned, I mentioned uh, Nazrak and Shandu. Wasn't that also a Ron Oliver episode? It was, right? I think so, yeah. We get kind of the same level of camp here. Uh, There are so many dramatic close-ups and, like, intense shots of people staring into each other's eyes as this showdown is happening. Um, there's, it's a very tight sort of set in a small... Or in like It's filmed in an actual house, I think, rather than on a set. And uh, there are so many scenes of people, like, running through halls and running up and down stairs. And there's just a lot of tight action happening and really over-the-top drama, especially from Brother Septimus. We looked this up in the Are You Afraid of the Art Campfire Companion, and... Brother Septimus is played by the guy who played the Riddler in the 1960s Batman. So this is a guy who knows a thing or two about chewing up the scenery. Uh, but these are special pies. Whipped sleeping cream and nuts. Whipped sleeping cream and nuts? Nuts to you! <laughs> Frank Gorshin. And chew it he does. He's threatening these kids saying, Give me the stone! And he explains that he's part of this ancient order that traveled through time and controlled history. And they're like, no way, dude, you're totes evil. And, and they, they keep the stone from him with the most cunning of plots, which is a game of monkey in the middle. They literally just like, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson runs up a flight of fucking stairs, and Allison runs to the bottom, and they just throw it back and forth for a while until he gets pissed and uses magic at them. Yeah, they play keep away for a while. And then Brother Septimus reveals his secret weapon. Which is he removes his cloak to reveal one really long metal fingernail on his right hand. Yeah, it's it's like the liquid T-1000. He just has, like, a knife coming out of one of his fingers. Which is crazy. It's such a ridiculous, like, reveal that this is what he's going to use to stop the kids. It's kind of a creepy yeah. visual because you don't expect it. But, like, there's a reason you don't expect it because it's totally stupid. <laughs> it's a totally nonsensical, non-sequitur type thing. And it's given so much drama, it's absolutely bonkers. You'd think given his ability to travel through time, he'd have like a gun, or a laser, or a sword, or a (laughs) laser sword. But no, it's just one really big fingernail. Uh, But before he can poke them with it? Pierce their noses? Before he can maybe break some skin with it, Thomas Jefferson pulls out the slingshot from his back pocket, because again, he's a boy from the 1800s, puts the stone in it, delivers the epic one-liner... Check out time. Brother Septimus screams, No! <laughs> and Thomas <laughs> Is Jefferson... This is our first adult scream tank. <laughs> it may be! But Thomas launches it at the mirror. Check out time, my only weakness. <laughs> Thomas launches it at the mirror. The mirror shatters into a thousand thousand pieces. And Brother Septimus is, I guess, trapped in the Phantom Zone. We see him 
trapped in a shard of glass, just screaming. Condemned to hell. <laughs> yes, he went straight to hell. <laughs> uh, Allison looks around for Thomas. Thomas is not in the room anymore. Sardo has returned to the present. But yep. she looks in a shard of glass and sees that Thomas is back in his 1800s room. And she's like, Thomas, climb on through and come back to the future with me again. And he's like, Allison, I, I clearly can't do that. Let's pause for a second. Why not? They really set this episode up with low stakes for this kid, right? Like, his parents are dead, his grandmother is an asshole, he has no friends, and he can go to the future. They're not asking her to go back to the past and, like, fuck up the time stream. This kid can just go to the future. I don't know. I assume because the shard of glass we see him in is only, like, the size of a shoe. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Thomas says, no, no I'm sorry, anyway. I can't come back, but don't worry, we're gonna be friends forever. And, and then he passes back through the mirror. The magic dissipates. Allison walks back over to the old Q, chest in her room. Q, hold on, hold on, hold on. Q, Thomas Jefferson's coming home. But Allison walks over to her old dresser in the room and sees that the carving on it has changed, whereas before it just had Thomas's initials. Now there's a big heart on it that says, TJB and Allison, friends forever. And that's the end of the story. We cut back to the Midnight Society. We get the usual great story, blah, blah, blah. As they're leaving, Betty Ann steals Gary's hat. And Gary's... So that she can st- use its magic. To punish Tucker forever. The best possible use of an enchanted hat. She's like, listen, Gary, I need this more than you do. I need this to play very small, brief pranks on your brother. I'm gaslighting him. (laughs) They just kind of annoy him for a few seconds, and then the credits start. (laughs) Like, that's what she's using that hat for. She steals a magic hat from Gary, and you know that's going to play into, like, her constant 30-second-at-a-time trolling of, of Tucker. McGarry swooshes his cape over the camera. We go to black. Credits. Rockin' Awesome theme song. Rockin' Awesome theme song. Now, I'm going to read back what you texted me last night. Wild drunk. Let's, let's... Wild drunk. Not forget. It's you, not like I just texted you this out of nowhere. You said, rewatching Sacred Stone while drunk. Which is not the name of the episode, but okay. <laughs> the tale of the stake, sacred stone while drunk. It's not even the tale of the sacred stone. It's the carved stone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. It was clearly sacred. Good gosh, god dang, god damn. It was a good, good watch. Is Rano the best director in the series to this point? Is this the secret? Should I watch all of these drunk? Is this the start of the Are You Afraid of the Drunk era of my reviews? <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I liked I liked it a lot. <laughs> Roughly 12 hours later, now that you're in a state of semi-sobriety, has your opinion on this episode changed, or did you still love it? I still love this episode, man. This is a good, good episode. What was your favorite part about this one? Alright, I genuinely mean what I said in that text. That, at, that this is the episode that, for me, totally crystallizes my love of Ron Oliver. I do not think this episode would have been as good without him. Um, Since the beginning, we've been seeing hints of Ron being, like, the craziest director of the show. As far as just, like, his penchant for drama and, like, really pushing things, you know, like, to to their farthest end point. And 
in certain episodes, like, it just works so well. And when it works, I think it makes some of the best episodes of the show. Um, The Tale of the Full Moon was another one where I don't think it would have been as good without Ron Oliver. This episode is crazy. And it's an episode that deserves that sort of, like, level of heightened drama to it. The things I loved about this are... It's an adventure, and I know I've talked about in the past about how sometimes I don't like episodes that aren't scary, uh, but I love the adventure in this episode. The pacing of it is really well done. The characters, it's, it's if you're going to have an episode with Sardo as an active element of it, you know, in the last episode that he was in, which was what, The Dark Dragon? Yeah. Which also had a popularity potion. In that one, he was barely an element of it, you know? He got as much screen time as Harold. In this one, he's like coming Harold. to the kid's house to... Harold, he's coming to the kid's house to help them. And if you're going to have an episode where Sardo is an active player, it's got to be, you know, a big over-the-top kind of episode. So we have one of our crazy magical villains, like Goth or Nazrak. Brother Septimus is, he's in the pantheon with Goth and Nazrak as like a bizarre magical villain pursuing a child. And uh, it's just it's just a, a really great romp that Ron gives really huge dramatic moments to. The special effects are good in this one. All of the acting is is from fine to good. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a really really great episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'm a little bit surprised by how much you loved this one. I liked this episode a lot. This is a really this is a good episode. I don't know if I can call this one a great episode. What it does, it does really well. I really liked Brother Septimus as the bad guy. He's so... I don't think we did a good job of communicating how over-the-top his performance is. You shall have the honor of being my next. <laughs> I mean, comparing him to Christopher Lloyd in... Who Framed Roger Rabbit okay, I guess is that a does, really good comparison. I guess that does give you some idea. It's totally bonkers. I really liked his performance. There are great moments with Sardo. You know, any any episode that he is in, he's going to elevate just by being you know, glib and having his, his usual yeah. one-liners. The stuff surrounding it, though, kind of felt like familiar territory. This episode reminded me a lot of the tale of the magician's assistant, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, the whole structure felt kind of similar. Kids in a new town, doesn't have any friends. The villains, as you mentioned, are very, very similar. It kind of comes down to a showdown involving a mirror. It's all fun. This was, this would be a fine episode for me to watch on, like, an afternoon after school and just have something on while I stuff Oreos into my face. Uh, not one to, I don't know if it's, like, a favorite of mine, though, but it was still really good. A solid B-plus from me. Uh, I'm going to give it an A. All right, then. We're... You're wrong. But the real question... I'm kidding. The real question is not what what school letter grade do we give this this episode. That's not what we're here for. It's not? What are we doing here then? I've been operating under the wrong impression this whole time. This isn't how do you grade this shit. This is you scared of this. And my question to you, Dykus, is of course, you scared of this. No. I think that's no. one of the things that maybe prevents the episode from being top tier in my mind is there is nothing scary in this. The reveal of the one really long fingernail is kind of freaky, just because it's yeah. so out of left field, but that is the closest this episode ever comes to being scary. This is not a scary episode. This is an episode about how great friendship is, and that's not scary. 
So no. I mean, her, I, her friend died, right? Like, he has to be dead in the 90s. He doesn't die tragically, though. I mean, maybe he does, but no, we don't true. know that. We don't know, yeah. <laughs> His last words could have been, If only I'd gotten to meet Allison. And then he died. <laughs> if only I'd gotten to see video games. <laughs> How did I age into this classic voice? I'm checking out. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, were uh, you scared yeah, of this, Eli? So, nope, not at all. This was not a scary episode. That There were moments that could have been scary. There's a moment that we didn't really touch on where uh, uh, Brother Septimus is floating outside of Allison's window. He has the ability to hypnotize people, and we never talked about that one bit. Uh, he will tell people to stare into his eyes and then he will hypnotize them. And there's a moment where he is, you know, clad in black, and he's flying. He's hovering outside of her window, and he's, like, growling at her to look into his eyes. And in another episode, that would have been a really scary moment, because Frank Gorshin is freaky as fuck. Um, like, he, he really does have intense eyes. Yeah. But, uh, so that could have been a scary moment, but in the context of this episode, it, it totally wasn't. Look into my eyes. Yeah, he's got a great gravelly voice. That's actually, you know, Dykus is, like, messing around, but that's actually a really good sort of depiction of it. So, could have been scary, but he sounds like the Cave of Wonders a little bit. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I would encourage anyone to watch this episode just for the Brother Septimus stuff. Again, we didn't do a great job of sort of capturing his role in the episode because we were kind of, this... because we were flying through it. But watch the episode and behold his his great campy performance. You talk about the the finger thing with him, and we talk about his voice and the intensity of his eyes and just how crazy he is. This episode, I couldn't really describe it. I was trying to think for days about, like, how I felt about it, like, what I was trying to compare it to. It kind of feels a little bit like Earthbound to me, in that there are these batshit... It feels like Chrono Trigger or Earthbound, in that there are these batshit crazy elements just thrown together and you have to take them at face value like all right sardo buys weird treasure chests full of knickknacks from you know exotic knickknack dealers and pawns them off as he's very shystery in in the opening uh scene and one of them happens to actually be magic and it allows a kid to travel back to the 19 or to the 1890s and now she's best friends with a little boy with a slingshot and a crazy monk all dressed in black with magic powers is chasing her. Like, it's so bonkers. It feels like, again, something out of a JRPG where you're just like, all right, sure, I'm going to take all of this nonsense at face value because it makes for a really good adventure story. I wish there was more media like that happening today where you're just like, where stuff is just coming at you out of left field at such a fast pace, but it's so well done that you're just like, all right, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to trust you on this one. I got a friend of the moonlight, I'm not a loser. There's something tender in the moonlight, I'm not a loser. Next week, we'll be watching The Tale of the Guardian's Curse which is going to be written by the enigmatic Chloe Brown and directed by the big man himself, DJ McHale. It's going to be a Tucker story. So we have that to look forward to. And until then, uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash you scared of this on Twitter at you scared of this soundcloud.com slash you scared of this. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please leave us a review there. We would love it if you do that. And don't forget, yes. uh, like we, like we said at length, don't forget to check out, 
old school lane as well and, and hear the, the casual chat that we did there. That's right. So thank you for joining us for the tale of the carved stone or whatever this one was called. And we'll see you next week. I'm going to go lie down. Judge and Dredd. Roger Rabbit. It's not Judge Dredd. What if he looked just like Judge Dredd? <laughs> that, that would make this episode even more awesome. <laughs> Can either of us do an Elliot Kalin style impression here? I, I can't do a Stallone. <laughs> oh, hey guys. I see you watching my, my guest episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, hey, hey, Sylvester Stallone here, everybody. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I didn't recognize. <laughs> I didn't recognize you in this one. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a thing. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to know I was doing it. It was a uh, for a friend of mine. So you were, you were judged right in this episode. Yeah, yeah, that was me. People were upset when you took so many liberties with your first take at Judge Dredd. This was this is something else. Yeah, we thought that the comics were no good, so we made our movie. And then our movie was no good, so we made this episode of all your... You have to cut all of this. Oh, yeah, I am. This will be the stinger. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I don't even want it to be that. <laughs> Jetpack. <laughs> all right. Jetpack. Whoosh. I like to this very day Ukulele lady like you <laughs> I thought you were going to start playing the Jurassic Park theme <laughs> Can you play the Can you play the Back to the Future theme on that? No <laughs> <laughs>